This project has been a labor of love. It's also been a tremendous leap of faith. And now that everything's in the can, I think it's okay to admit that when I first started Beyond a Few Ideas, I really hadn't given much thought as to how this all was going to shape up. But sometimes the best road trips involve a journey into the unknown. And that's what today's episode was for me. Last year, I'd never heard of Seton, Texas, and can probably count on one hand the number of times I'd driven north of Austin. It didn't come to me recommended through friends, and I really didn't know what to expect in going. But in the end, it absolutely stole my heart. And I think you'll understand why when we spend an evening getting to know the owners and two-steppers at Tom Sefshik Hall. I'm Evan Stern, and this is Vanishing Postcards. Before we take today's trip, if you're looking for another podcast to binge, let me tell you about Strange and Unexplained with Daisy Egan. Do you believe in ghosts? How about Bigfoot? Do you think it's strange and fascinating that a four-year-old in Oklahoma could look at a black-and-white picture of a man from the 1930s and say, that was me, before, and then provide actual, verifiable details of the man's life? If so, Strange and Unexplained with Daisy Egan is about to be your new favorite podcast. Daisy is a Tony Award-winning actor, writer, and true crime fanatic, but she's also a skeptic. Each week, she looks at real stories of hauntings, disappearances, UFO encounters, the Bermuda Triangle, near-death experiences, and anything else that feels just beyond what we can easily make sense of. She is your go-to guide in the inexplicable details of these stories, but she's also like, show me the receipts. So, if you want to dive into the unexplained, check out Strange and Unexplained with Daisy Egan. Find Strange and Unexplained with Daisy Egan wherever you get your podcasts. And now, let's get on with the show. Like a little, little one horse town, you know. It used to have a convenience store slash gas station on the main highway, but that that closed up and, and uh, went its way a few years ago. And uh, used to have a little school up the street there that I went to school. I walked to school. Uh, it sounds like a cliche, but I actually walked to school when I was in elementary. Uh, it, you know, it wasn't three miles through snow, but it was a quarter of a mile or almost a half a mile there. And I had the whether it was raining or what, I walked to school. Um, but it's just a, just a little small, little tight knit community is what it was. Kenny Shulock was born, raised, and still lives in Seton, Texas. So does his mother. So did his grandparents. And don't ask him how many before that because he just can't tell you. After all, before a few bureaucrats in Washington decided otherwise, this town was once named for his family. At one time it was called Sheffieldville, and that was my, my grandfather's name, Sheffield. Try searching for Seton on your car's GPS, and like mine, it might come up dry. Basically, it's a cluster of homes nestled on a stretch of Highway 53 in Bell County, about nine miles east of Temple. They haven't had a post office since 1907, and as of last count, its population hovered somewhere around 40. But if you hang a ride on the road before the old Bethren Church, just a few yards past the cemetery, towering over the plains, you'll happen upon a large, two-storied wooden building of peeling white paint. 
At first glance, it could be mistaken for a barn. But if you come here on a Sunday, as I did, the number of trucks jockeying for space in the grass and gravel outside just might cause you to blink. This is Tom Sefshik Hall. And as has happened now for nearly 100 years, a dance is about to begin. My mama said a, a, a dusty boot uh, will make you trip, so you got to shake the dust off all the time. <laughs> this is my beautiful wife over here. Her name's Roberta, and she loves it too. Uh, to me, it's like when we go out of town and we try to find places to dance, and then we come here, it's like coming home. It's a family place and uh, where everybody can have fun and enjoy life. And uh, my fun is dancing with my wife and anybody who wants to dance with me, okay? Well, everybody's a little older than what they were when I used to come here as a teenager. But anyway, it, it was a good experience then and it's still a good experience. Things haven't changed that much, and that's great. Well, there have been a few changes. The old-timers will tell you that back in 1971, they enclosed the open-air second floor to install AC, and the bar downstairs once housed a general store. But looking at the original illuminated painted glass ads for Jack's, Pearl, and Falstaff beers above the dance floor, it's pretty easy to infer that things progress a little slower around here. More than this, though, when you spend a night at Sefshek Hall, you're participating in the continuation of a long, proud, yet potentially fading history. Uh, dance halls are, are, I hate to say it, because I grew up dancing every weekend when I was young. That's all you ever did. Every weekend, you just you find out where you, what your friends are doing. Hey, so-and-so's playing at this place on Saturday and, and Sunday. And, yeah, are you going to go there? Yeah, we'll be there. And that's the way you associate it. And now it's, it's everybody's, on, everybody's on their phone. Starting in the 1800s, fleeing crushing poverty and lured by the promise of cheap land, Czechs and Germans began migrating en masse to Texas. This journey wasn't an easy one, to say the least, but eventually these newcomers established farming settlements that wouldn't have been entirely out of place in regions like Bohemia. And judging from the names of tonight's patrons, their children are still here. Clarence Schusey. Edith Servenka. Johnny Pulcher. P-L-S-E-K. I myself owe the gift of life to people like this. So does Deb Fleming, whose family migrated here from Poland in the 1850s, and today works tirelessly as the executive director of Texas Dance Hall Preservation. Speaking in her office in Austin, she told me of how these spaces were born. And the Germans and the Poles and the Czechs came from, from Europe and they were, they brought all those traditions with them from their culture, you know, in the old country and they wanted to keep that culture alive and those traditions alive because that's all that they knew in this new new world they were in. And and so they held on to those and they recreated those and, and these places were really community gathering places. But it was a matter of, you know, if people wanted to have a place to come together, you know, for some entertainment and fellowship and music and dance, they would figure out a, a way to do that, you know. And it didn't have to be anything fabulous or, or, or extravagant. It was just the coming together of the people in that community. To me, the dance halls are about the people as much as the buildings. And the people is what really keeps those places alive, both their stories, their memories, 
and the places. You know, that's sort of the backdrop to, to all the stories. So integral were these halls that at one time they numbered over 1,000. Today, though, fewer than 400 remain. Of those that are left, about a quarter are believed to be in danger of destruction, and not many operate as regularly as this one. That's something Kenny's wife Irene seems to echo as she prepares to send up a tray of concessions on the building's original and very much working dumbwaiter. Sepshik Hall is kind of like going back in time, a lot of people say. Uh, it's an old dance hall where um, a lot of people have met here, uh, gotten married here, and then they come back and have their 30th, 50th anniversary. Um, so it's, um, it's, it's a place that really, uh, you don't find a lot of places like this anymore. They don't exist. The Shulocks themselves are one of those couples. They met at age 12 when Irene's family put her to work doing odd jobs for Kenny's mother, Alice, and have been official now for 32 years. You'll still find them cracking beers here every week, Friday through Sunday, which they'll admit isn't always easy given that they each hold full-time jobs. You know, it's only open three days a week now. Uh, the way it's run now, it, it makes a living and it pays for itself and it, it pays for my mother. But my wife and me don't collect no salary for doing this. It's just helping her out. If we make any tips, that's fine, but it wouldn't support me as a job as it is now, as its current condition. You know, it's a different way of life. So, you know, sometimes I, uh, sometimes I wish I, I, I had that other way of life because this is, you're, you're really married to your job. It's like our life. <laughs> so it's got its ups and downs. Clearly, for the Shulocks, this work is a labor of love. And the force of nature who deserves the most credit for keeping Sefshik running this long is again Alice, the short, 89-year-old former saxophonist Spitfire, whom Deb tells me is probably the longest-serving female dance hall owner in Texas. In fact, she almost single-handedly kept the doors of the bar open seven nights a week for almost 45 years. Alice, um, to me, she's like my second mother. Um, she's a very sweet lady. She was a very hardworking lady, but she just can't play her saxophone anymore. And her uh, back, she has issues with her back, and she's just, you know, physically not capable of um, doing the things she used to do. But she ran the bar and, you know, did everything here. Uh, my mother's real old school, and even if she hears somebody cussing, using the F word, uh, she doesn't like it. She goes, my, my daddy never allowed that kind of language in here, and I don't like it either, and you're you're not going to be talking like that in here. She goes, it's real, it's disrespectful. And she'll, she'll tell people that right in a heartbeat. Don't be using that language in here. <laughs> and they look at her and they go, okay. If they don't, then they usually leave. I should mention that behind Kenny's perch at the bar hangs a painted mirror that reads an ornate cursive, drink hearty folks and remain ladies and gentlemen. And if you talk about Alice with the regulars, they're likely to mention her sweetness and strictness in the same breath. But my dad was sitting down there one time and they were doing the bunny hop here. And have you been downstairs? Okay, they've reinforced those beams. That ceiling go whoop, whoop, whoop. And she made us quit doing the bunny hop, Alice did. No more bunny hop. She was strict, no, uh, no twist, nothing like that. She wanted it clean. So the twist was too frisky for Alice? I guess so. It was according to Alice's deals. Even today, when you walk inside, 
you'll be greeted by a sign that states in no uncertain terms that anyone directly or indirectly involved in a fight on these premises can and will be barred. Sefshek Hall strives to run a business where people of all ages can enjoy a friendly environment and not have to worry about getting involved in a fight. Sefshek Hall neither desires nor wants anybody's business who intends to start trouble here. But it sounds as if few troublemakers ever had a prayer against Alice. When she was still up here, she would not let any, she never had a bouncer here. She'd have a big old broom, and if somebody got to cutting up too much, had a little bit too much to drink, she'd take that broom and she'd hit them on the behind and everything as they just go tumbling down those stairs. And, and Mama, she always carried her broom around to make sure everybody walked a straight and narrow. So, you know, other ones she wasn't playing that saxophone. She was doing all right. Well, it's been a while since Alice has been on broom duty. As I understand, after years of carrying ice, she rarely ventures upstairs anymore, and Kenny and Irene handle most of the work now. Most sobering, on the day I was to meet this fabled matriarch, she took a fall, was rushed to the ER, and has since taken up residence in rehab. But when I broach the subject of the future, Kenny seems resolute. Oh, I, was, I can still remember being in a playpen back in the back corner of the building and uh, was probably three years old. Just vague memories, but memories nevertheless. And this is, you know, I've, I've grown up here, you know, and this is all I've ever known was this, you know, this is what my social life was really. You know, I, I think of even now with, you know, helping out my mom and, and running the hall and stuff for her and then, uh, it's still a place to, I come here and, and I meet people and I socialize and I think, well, you know, how, what would I do if, if I didn't have the place I would just sit at home or do I go, you know, we, my wife and me go out to socialize or what? And they, here, everybody comes here and you socialize here. For Kenny, this place seems to fill a need. And Irene tells me that while their roles may evolve, they, and their daughters if needed, are committed to pitching in to keep the doors open. Um, somehow, some way, whether, you know, it takes um, all of us to get involved, we really do want to see it. And then the people that come to the dances on Sunday, they really um, are adamant about wanting to have a place to go, and they hope that the hall will continue, um, you know, even if, you know, Alice isn't able to do it, that we'll continue. Uh, so they have something to do. I think of the Shulock family and all of this when Deb tells me why dance halls are important to her. Well, I think because it's part of our history. It's part of who we are. And uh, we've gotten away from a lot of that. And those places are very heartfelt. So I get emotional about it because they are special. I see so many people working so hard to, to keep these places going. And it's a lot of hard work. It's not just about the fun and the dancing. It's about cleaning the toilets, you know, fixing the roof, you know, uh, raking the leaves away from the building to make sure they're not a fire hazard. I mean, it's, it's a lot of hard work, and it's not just about, you know, setting the band up and playing the music and dancing. It's, it's about so much more. For those who go to Sefshek regularly, these Sunday dances are also clearly about far more for them, too. As the clock nears six, I head up the building's rickety wooden staircase 
and upon entering the hall, I'm immediately met by a striking old man in an impeccable tan suit, pressed white shirt, bolo tie, and Stetson. Taking an interest in my sound equipment, he introduces himself with a smile as Johnny and promises he's the oldest one here. In May the 30th, I'll be a hundred if I live that long. I hope to be here on May 30. <laughs> I want to make that hundred years. I've been dancing 82 years. Yeah. And what does dancing do for you? Dancing is the best exercise, and you enjoy it. And, well, just love to dance. And uh, I won, won the last year, one night over here, I danced with 32 different women. <laughs> Amazed, I asked if you could remember the first time he came here, and without prompting, proceeded to tell me far more. Seventeen years old, my brother got married here, and I was the best man, because I, I was in chemical warfare, and of course spent two years in Iceland, and then we stopped off at England and went to Normandy. And then in Germany, I got transferred into a different outfit, young outfit, and I had seniority, so they sent me home for 45 days rest and recuperate. And that's when I met, met my wife. Two years later, I married her. <laughs> when my wife died four years ago, uh, well, I didn't go nowhere, nothing to do, and uh, I thought, well, maybe it's time to just die. And my niece comes here a whole lot. One day she said, we're taking you Tom Shastick. I said, no, I don't want it. And she said, we're going to pick you up. Uh, you can listen to the band. Jerry Heisler was playing. So I said, yeah, I can do that. And we got over here, and my niece said, let's dance. And of course, I told her, man, I haven't danced in I don't know how many years. And she said, let's try it. But once you dance, once you ride the bicycle, you can always ride again. And I think that's, that's why I live a little longer. Seemingly on cue, the lights dim as colored strands flicker above, and tonight's band, a Western group called Out of the Blue, launches into a Charlie Pride cover. Within moments, Johnny has found a willing partner and is on the floor which is promptly filling with couples. Noticing me on the sidelines, one guest gives me an affectionate nudge, accompanied by a few words of unsolicited advice. Men who dance are always with very attractive women, and the only time a man can be in charge of his wife for two or three minutes at a time is on the dance floor. So men need to take up dancing. <laughs> Feeling conspicuous, I introduce myself to Johnny's niece, Dorothy, who tells me that despite going back in Texas a few generations, like her uncle, her first language was Czech. Can you still speak Czech? I can speak some. Which, could you speak some for me right now? Jak se máš? Dobre den. So, Nemo, what is your name? And I said, Dobre den is good day. And Yaksimash is how are you? 
I've lost a lot of it. I've learned back a lot of it by dancing to the music and singing to the songs, the chess songs that when we have a band here, Jerry Heisler, when he plays, a lot of the songs are still in chair. They sing them. Chatting with Dorothy, I'm reminded that while Hollywood has conditioned us to believe that Texas was settled by cowboys in the mold of John Wayne, most of it was built by immigrants with names like Kolkhorst, Sefshik, Shulak, Rodriguez, and I'll go ahead and include Stern. What's more, as Deb and Kinney will tell you, dancehalls like these aren't just a part of Texas culture. There were so much of Texas culture was defined. To me, why these places are so important to, to preserve is because they tell the story of Texas in a different way than the Alamo does. Uh, the Alamo was about the struggle for, you know, the land and, and the governmental kinds of things and uh, the governance, but it was these halls that really sort of tell the story of the people, why they came here, why they stayed. The ones that stayed were rugged individuals, and I think that's what gives us, you know, sort of our independence here. And, you know, you look at the building in, in 2023, this building's going to be 100 years old. If you look at it from a European perspective, well, that's 100 years is a drop in a bucket in the United States. 100 years old, that's old. And people, people want to experience stuff like that and, and learn how things work because that's nothing that you're going to find in a local history book. You know, they... they People yearn to hear how things were because they've never had a chance to experience it. I've already decided I'm coming back. I want to check out one of their polka nights. Also, I have to meet Alice, whom Kenny promises me won't be down for long. Um, if she's got a crawl on her hands and knees, she'll be back sitting behind the bar here in probably a month, month and a half. <laughs> on my way out, I say goodbye to Dorothy and Johnny and ask him with a wink. What's your favorite thing to do on a Sunday night? He answers in check. Sunday night. Sunday. You like to go, go Sunday. Yeah, you have done so you. That means dancing. Yeah, done so you. In case you didn't hear Dorothy, that means dancing. and saxophone you're hearing right now belong to Alice Shulock herself. She's in assisted living now, but I'm pleased to report celebrated her 90th birthday at home in January, where she enjoyed an accordion serenade from her dear friend and former band leader, Jerry Heisler. As far as I know, Johnny made it to 100, but assume he was unable to celebrate at the hall as he had hoped, as it was forced to close due to COVID. Understandably, the last year has been devastating for dance halls, but I'm grateful to report that in the face of this crisis, Texas Dance Hall Preservation stepped up to raise and provide $260,000 in relief funds to 32 historic halls across the state. To learn more about their work, dance halls you can visit, 
or ways in which you can help, visit texasdancehall.org. I thank Deb Fleming for making the time to speak with me, and of course the Shoelocks and everyone at Sefsha Call for helping me feel welcome. I understand the music is back to playing in there again, and if you're interested in learning more about their offerings, check them out on Facebook. Also, thank you for listening. And if you've enjoyed this little postcard from Seton and haven't already, please subscribe. It helps us grow and guarantees you will never miss anything. And as always, if you know someone in your life who might enjoy what we're up to, it would mean a great deal if you could take a second to text them and share this episode. For photos and more info, please find us on Instagram or visit vanishingpostcards.com where we'd love to hear from you if you have any memories or stories you care to repeat or know of any places we should consider visiting. Our theme music was written and performed by Max Krauss and Emily Young. We'll be back again on the last Thursday of this month, but until then, I'm leaving you with another oldie from Alice Shulock performing with Jerry Heisler and the Melody Five. <laughs>